offer my most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet. Dear listeners, I welcome you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triune Pilgrimage. This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sack, Prashant Nilayam. And this is a show where we go through the Bhagavad Gita verse by verse, try to understand the import of each verse in the backdrop of Swami's message. Of course, the Gita Vahini is a text that we very often fall back upon and most of our understanding is drawn from that. And of course, the many, many discourses that Swami has graced us with over the years. We are still in the second chapter of the Bhagavad Gita and as I've mentioned many times before, the second chapter itself is more or less like a summary of the entire Gita and the chapters which come hereafter are explanations of the many concepts which Krishna touches upon in the second chapter. We are in the fag end of the second chapter. I think maybe a couple of weeks more we should be uh, done with the second chapter. And in the second chapter, the portion that we are going through is the qualities of Asteta Pragna. As we saw a few weeks ago, Arjuna raises this question to Krishna, who is Asteta Pragna? Can you describe him to me? Can you tell me how he walks, how he carries himself, how he talks? And of course, we spoke about how the import of asking this question was not to know how he would carry himself, but to understand the inner working of Asteta Pragna and that is what Krishna answers to. Krishna doesn't give him a description of his habits and demeanor, but he goes on to give him a description of his inner nature and that is where we are still. Probably as always, we'll uh, begin with a short summary of what we covered last week because the verses that we are going to go through this week are very much connected. In fact, uh, I could have even played the verse that we are going to start with today and the verse we completed with last week together because it's a continuation. Nevertheless, I'll give you a short summary and maybe that will give us a, enough idea to carry on with the verses for this week. We covered verses 57, 58 and 59 last week. As I said, these were also part of the description of Stita Pragna. In verse number 57, Krishna says that he who is not attached to any outcome at any time, be it an auspicious outcome and an auspicious outcome, a pleasant or an unpleasant outcome, one who does not look forward to anything nor does he abhor anything. Such a person has wisdom that is firmly established. That's what Krishna says in verse number 57. And more or less, this is the description or the definition of Sthita Pragna that Krishna uses. But of course, there were some very beautiful words that Krishna uses in this particular verse and last week we went into a bit of detail about that of the idea of attachment, the idea of pain and empathy. How to be compassionate but not be attached is one of the discussions that we went through last week. Well, if you missed it, then you know you just have to go and look for the file of last week and listen to it. Verse number 58 presents a very beautiful simile of a tortoise and Krishna says that one who can withdraw his senses from the sense objects, like a tortoise that withdraws its limbs within its shell, will have a steady wisdom. We again discussed in detail what this actually means. Does it suggest that we should completely withdraw our senses? The question came, if the senses are meant to be withdrawn away from all the sense objects, why were the senses given at all? Well, we went a little more in detail into the simile itself. 
when does a tortoise withdraw its limbs into itself? It is when it is endangered, right? In the similar manner, we are supposed to withdraw the senses when the purpose of life that we are trying to pursue is endangered or our discrimination is endangered, right? So we went into a little bit of discussion on that. But in the next verse, Krishna says that when the senses are not fed or allowed to go after the sense objects, they do certainly behave themselves or don't go astray. But the longing or the taste for the sense objects does not necessarily vanish. Right? For the longing to go away, one must have had the vision of the Supreme. Right? It is only then even the rasa or the taste for such things melts away. Right? That's what Krishna said in the last verse that we went through, which is the 59th verse. As I said, the next verse that we are going to be covering today, the verse number 60, is a continuation of that same thought. Probably I'll give you a few reminders that we discussed last week because that's important to go through the verses that we're going to go through. When we say senses, it is not the ear, the eyes, the nose because these are just the sense organs. It is the reference that we are making to the jnanendriyas, right? The senses with the mind that qualifies what the senses see. The mind that says that this sight is good or this smell is inviting and so on. So whenever we say senses, whenever we speak about controlling the senses, we are referring to the jnanendriyas, which is the sense organ backed by the mind that qualifies what the senses perceive. That is one reminder that I thought we'll leave. So the next verse will be a continuation. The previous verse Krishna said that even the people, even those that are trying to withdraw themselves by means of starving the senses of the sense objects. Right? We discussed a beautiful analogy that Swami would give of a mother and child walking into the market and the child runs after everything that it sees but the mother does not entertain the child, does not indulge the child. She keeps walking and eventually the child realizes that there's no point in crying and making a scene and joins the mother. And Swami would say similarly, the mind and the senses crave after everything that it sees but if the discrimination is right and if you can keep walking and ignore all of these signs that are coming from the senses, eventually the senses will fall in line. Verse number 59, Krishna says that even though the senses that are starved in this manner will behave themselves, the craving or the taste for sense objects does not necessarily vanish and it vanishes only when there is a vision of the Supreme. So from there, verse number 60 is going to be a continuation as always. I have it very beautifully and clearly rendered by Brother Sham. I'll play out the verse. We'll listen to it. I'll give you a short meaning of that verse after that and then we'll discuss that in detail. Yatato hyapikaunteya Purushasya bipaschitaha Indriyani pramathini Haranti For O son of Kunti, the turbulent organs violently snatch away the mind of an intelligent person, even while he is striving diligently. Krishna continues that explanation from the last verse here by emphasizing that to get over cravings, one has to do more than merely abstinence. 
because that was what was referred to in the previous verse. There's a very famous and humorous quip which goes, which is often quoted. It is so easy to quit drinking. I've done it so many times, right? That's something which a lot of addicts would say. Because it is not merely about separating the sense organ from the objects of the senses, the vishayas and the indriyas. That alone will not help. Though that is a starting point, that is a ground which is useful and it's like a preparatory field. And that is why Swami even emphasizes on the ceiling on desires to a great extent. But that alone will not help and that is what is emphasized in this verse. It has to be coupled with a process that will completely sublimate the taste itself. And that is the state of Sthita Pragna and that should be the goal of those of us who are trying to reach that state. So what is it that has to be coupled? Of course, discrimination is one of them. We've been speaking about that in the past couple of weeks. That is consciously to wonder if one certainly needs to follow a message that is coming through the senses, right? The food is in front of me. It is delicious. But can I afford to eat it? I'm driving by a road and see a poster for an ad for a product. Swami would say, pause and ask yourself, do I really need it? Instead of just being attracted by it and saying that, oh, I have to go and get that one, right? So that constant discriminative process of seeing that, do I really need this? Can I afford this? What will happen if I indulge in this? So the abstinence must be backed with this sort of discrimination. But even this will not be enough. That is what Krishna is explaining in this particular verse. Abstinence alone will not work. Abstinence plus discrimination is good, but abstinence plus discrimination also is not good enough. He says, Kaunteya, O son of Kunti, Yatataha, he api purushasya, even for the person. As I said, the reference is still to the person that was being referred to in the previous verse. Here Krishna is making a reference to those that are making the effort to control oneself. Yatataha, he api purushasya, vipaschitaha, the one who is seeing clearly through one's discrimination. Indriyani pramathini, the tumultuous sense organs. Indriyani are the sense organs, pramathini, those that are agitated. And the sense organs are agitated when they see something and start craving for it, right? So an agitated sense organ, indriyani pramathini, haranti prasabham manaha, forcefully takes away the mind. So he's saying even when you're talking about a person who is having enormous amount of self-control, even when you're talking about somebody who is a vipaschitaha, who is able to see clearly, who is discriminating clearly, even for such a person, haranti prasabham manaha, the mind can be stolen away by indriyani pramathini, by the mind, by the senses which have been agitated. I think this is a very, very important verse especially for all of us who are, I'm sure, like me, all of you are also struggling in the sadhana. When I was doing the answering booth or even when we interact with some devotees, uh, especially youngsters, we are often asked this question that, you know, we are very sincere in our sadhana, but then slowly the mind loses its balance, all kinds of thoughts start coming. And when the mind loses its purity in that manner, that will lead to the springing up of self-esteem in one's low self-esteem in oneself. In fact, uh, when I was answering a very similar question on the answering booth of going astray on the spiritual path, I remember mentioning this. We usually imagine that 
all of those people whom we consider as saints and saintly people or perfect people be it from our scriptures be it from the epics or be it even from those around us in the sai circle if i could uh, put it that way we imagine that they're all very very perfect they do not have ups and downs their mind never goes up and down and in contrast with the imagination that we have of those people when we look at the flaws in our own mind i think that is when we tend to look down upon ourselves or we get agitated about ourselves or we lose hope about ourselves right but the fact is it is not so not all those people who are portrayed in that manner of course it is done so for a good reason because uh, when we are given such ideal images in front of us we strive for that right but when we start losing hope when we are looking at the perfection of people like that i think that becomes a very very dangerous thing so the truth is what krishna is saying here even those who are putting efforts to develop self control vipaschitah those who are wise the literal translation of that word vipaschitah uh, means those who can see clearly and who can see clearly those who are able to discriminate clearly even such people have their minds forcefully stolen away when the senses are stirred all that this suggests is this endeavor has to be constant and relentless we cannot say you know what i control my mind for a few years i lived a very simple life now nothing can touch me this can never be the attitude in fact consider this even when we are talking about physical fitness isn't it so clear that we have to be leading an active life and keep exercising regularly to maintain that fitness in the body so when they talk about fitness and having a, a fit lifestyle they always talk of it as making fitness a habit of making fitness a lifestyle that is one of the best ways to stay fit so even when you're talking about the body we are talking of effort that has to be constant and relentless right similarly to keep the mind under control it must become a regular exercise it must become a habit and of course later krishna will repeat and explain the importance of this kind of practice leading to habit we'll come to that because that's again a very very important verse i think it comes somewhere uh, right in the middle of the bhagavad gita so let's not worry about that right now but sometimes it helps just to be aware that even the most austere mind can be attacked by indriyani pramathini the senses which have been agitated or which have been stimulated so to acknowledge this fact is very very helpful it will keep us vigilant and it will also keep us hopeful i recall a very beautiful incident which one of swami's students was once narrating and this student even before he joined swami's college had the habit of meditating so when he joined swami's college he found that the place was so perfect for his spiritual sadhana he used to sit and meditate and effortlessly used to go into a very beautiful state of meditation and you know he thought that you know things couldn't get any better it was absolutely like living a dream but this lasted for a few months and within i think 3 or 4 months he found that suddenly his mind started becoming so agitated all kinds of thoughts started flooding his mind he lost his tranquility he could not meditate so he thought just as i said that he is such a sinner that sitting before swami all these kind of thoughts are coming to him and that led to enormous amount of guilt he didn't know what to do so he finally made bold and wrote a letter to swami he said swami all these kind of thoughts are coming and not able to meditate and all that and literally pouring out all his tears into that letter he sent it to swami 
And promptly Swami sent word that asked this boy to sit in front that evening. So this boy now got worried because he thought, now I have this very good image in hostel. People think that here is a very you know goody-goody boy, he's a very saintly boy. He does morning meditation and all of these things. And if in front of all his friends and classmates and seniors and juniors, if Swami were to come and start discussing the letter that he had written, he thought, you know, what would happen to my image? All of these people will think, hey, you, you know, you pretend to be such a, a saintly chap. But, I mean, do you have these kind of thoughts? Because he was thinking that it was a very, very odd thing that he was going through. So Swami calls him for an interview inside. So, first of all, he's happy that it's not going to happen in the open. And in the interview, Swami, you know, very casually tells him, what happened? What is your problem? So, again, he explains whatever he had written in the letter. Then Swami asked him a very, very beautiful question. Swami said, you know, do you think it is for no reason that the great yogis have been practicing meditation for hundreds of years in the Himalayas? If to control the mind was so simple, why would these people who are so dedicated to sadhana spend so many hundreds of years in meditation? Do you think you can sit for a few minutes a day for three months and achieve that kind of stillness of mind? Swami said it is not so easy. That is why it's so difficult and that's why the practice needs to be lifelong. And then Swami very, very lovingly explained to him, Sira, this is the nature of the mind. The mind is such, the mind will be going out. Don't worry about it. You only have to try not to follow the mind. Try not to follow the mind with your actions. You only ensure that. Don't worry about what the mind thinks. Of course, there is a further explanation that Swami gives. I'm not going to go into that because I feel that that might come handy in a later point which where it might be more appropriate. We'll talk about it when it comes there. But this is one part of the explanation which I thought is very, very important which Swami said. First of all, acknowledge that what we are trying to do is difficult. Secondly, as Krishna explained here, even for that person who is completely in control of oneself, for the person who has very good discrimination, when the sense is agitated, the mind is disturbed. That's a standard thing. Don't overreact when that happens. So one thing is it will keep you ready, right? When you know that you're living in an area where there are a lot of thieves, you become more vigilant, right? Similarly, when you know that your mind can be stolen away by the sense objects, you just become more vigilant. You start watching your mind more carefully, right? So that is why to start with, it is important to keep in mind that as long as the mind is it will have rasa or taste or what the senses bring. And I always think of this analogy. Imagine that, let's say, there is a diabetic patient and that person has decided not to take any sugar in their food or drink. And how do they follow that? They use their discrimination saying that this is not good for me, this I'm going to avoid. Then, then comes the role of the willpower. One has to use one's willpower to stick to the discrimination that they have made, right? And let's say this person's discrimination is perfect, this person's willpower is really good and he abstains from all of these sweets and sugars and whatever it is. But even for such a person, if you take a lump of sugar and put it in the tongue, won't the tongue find the sugar tasty and sweet? It will. The tongue does not lose the taste for the sugar. It is only through discrimination that person is avoiding it, right? So same is the case here. The taste will not go away so easily. Krishna will explain in the next few verses you know, how it will vanish and what happens when it doesn't vanish. But before we move ahead, there are a few points that probably I would like to summarize from this verse and then we can go ahead. One is very important, a theme which is recurrent in the Bhagavad Gita 
physical renunciation and austerity alone cannot make one a sthita pragna or a realized person if we think that i can leave home and hearth if i can leave my career and all of this and go sit in the forest and i will be able to become a gnani it will not happen in that manner only renunciation only austerity cannot make one a sthita pragna because one can run away from the world but that does not guarantee that worldliness will be removed from within right so that leads to the next point that constant vigilance is important in the spiritual path i may have been living in the ashram for 20 years i can say that i am a student of swami i have had hundreds of darshans i have had so many interviews swami has spoken to me so many times still that does not remove the need for vigilance from my life still i have to look at my mind i have to see where the cravings are what am i going after what is the mind thinking about so that vigilance is always very very important the next point is this should not make me feel weak but this should make me feel humble if my mind gets filthy ideas and the mind goes after the sense objects after so many years of attempts it should make me feel humble it should not make me feel low esteem of self hatred and finally as i mentioned restraint does have its role it does not mean that there is no need for restraint in fact that is the whole point of this thing what krishna is telling about sthita pragna and the verses which are going to follow it all starts with restraint so restraint is certainly important and that should not be given up like the analogy that i mentioned of the mother and the child in the marketplace last week when we do not let the actions follow the cravings of the senses and the mind we are starving the senses and the senses will be under control Vishaya vinivartante niraharasya. When you do not feed the senses, they will start behaving properly. Krishna said in the previous verse. So the senses will come un- under control through the process of restraint and abstinence. So practicing sense control through simple living is important, but that alone will not guarantee wisdom. Just as we must be humble and cautious, we must also be confident and hopeful. and krishna is going to tell how we can be confident and hopeful in the next verse so we'll listen to verse number 61 i'll give you a short meaning after we listen to that and then we'll discuss about that in detail tani sarvani samyamya yukta asita matparaha vashehi yasyendriyani Controlling all of them, one should remain concentrated on me as the supreme. For the wisdom of one whose organs are under control becomes steadfast. So this is another verse that ends with "tasya pragnya pratishtita." Such a person has wisdom that is steady and unmovable or immovable. So here Krishna speaks of the dual approach that is necessary right we had gone through this particular thing a couple of weeks ago in fact i had read out a passage from the gita vahini where swami spoke that there is a two pronged approach which is necessary one is a positive approach and the other is a negative approach and at that time i had said that what swami speaks of as the positive approach will come later in the chapter so this is the point it comes krishna says yukta the one endowed with discrimination tani sarvani samyamya should keep all under control meaning the mind and the senses 
and the second process is asita matparaha asita means to remain it can be also said to be to be seated but here it is to remain matparaha devoted to me in other words asita matparaha can be described as one must be attached to me right then he goes on to say vashehi yasyendriyani vashe means to have under control vasha i think even in other languages in uh, indian languages we use this word vasham means to have under one's control vashehi yasyendriyani to keep under control yasyendriyani one's senses tasya pragnya pratishtita that person's wisdom will be firmly established so as swami had explained in that particular passage that we had gone through from the gita vaini there is a negative process and a positive process the negative process is like weeding there swami had said removing the desires from the mind through the process of discrimination and the positive process that swami had mentioned there is to develop attachment to god in the first verse that krishna had used the phrase atmani eva atmana tushtah krishna had used that as the positive approach he said atmani eva atmana tushtah one who is satisfied in oneself in this particular verse he uses asita matparah being attached to me as the positive so this is a very beautiful way of saying that being turned inward and attached to the self is the same as being attached to god in devotion right because the same negative and positive approach is spoken of the positive approach mentioned there was to be immersed in the self the positive approach spoken of here is asita matparah to be attached to god so both of this is same right that is a very beautiful way also just like how when we find the source of bliss within we will be more than satisfied right that is what we had discussed when we were going through that verse and when we are satisfied in that manner the taste for worldly pleasures will wither away similarly when we develop this taste for god and god's love when we relish the joy that is there in attachment to god sensual pleasures will slowly start losing their grip over us so i would often give this beautiful analogy you would say that initially when you all come to me you are like house flies right so i would say the house flies come and sit on all of these uh, very tasty dishes that i've made you know you make all these sweet dishes like laddus and gulab jamuns and you put there the house flies will come and sit on them let's say the sweets are over or you know the shop is closed the same house flies will now go and sit on garbage they'll go and sit on rotting food so some you'd say when you first come to me you're like that yes you relish being in my company yes you relish you know when i come and talk to you when you come and have my darshan but you still have relish for the rotting substances of the world so some you'd say from being a house fly eventually you should learn to become more like the honey bee then what is the difference some you'd say the honey bee even if it is starving it will not go and sit on garbage it always seeks its fulfillment only from honey right and so much so that some you would say that it doesn't mind being trapped in the flower and giving up its life as you know when the sun sets the blossom starts closing up even then the honey bee is sitting there and drawing its nectar so some you would say that from being a house fly that definitely relishes god's company and thoughts of god and satsanga but has not given up the relish for worldly pleasures to a honey bee which finds relish only in 
being established in the self or being attached to god that is why one practices refrain from sensual pleasures even as one is doing that one must also develop the taste for higher bliss and constantly this conversation must go on in the mind asking that you know, do you really want to find fulfillment in this when you've tasted the joy of being with swami when you've tasted the joy of listening to the beautiful stories of swami do i still have to find relish in listening to this criticism of others or when this eyes have feasted upon swami's form does this eyes still go after a sensual scene right so this dialogue or this mananam has to be constantly going on inside and this is very very beautifully captured by the episode in the life of saint tyagaraja right where uh, the king sends him royal gifts and invites him to the palace to perform in front of him so saint tyagaraja writes a beautiful song which is nothing but a conversation that he has within he says nidichala sukhama ramuni sannidhi seva sukhama nijamuga paluku manasa he says nidichala sukhama do you think that there is happiness in this worldly wealth is in which is in front of you or ramuni sannidhi seva sukhama or do you find happiness in the service to your rama's feet and he is asking this question to his own mind he says oh mind you tell me the truth right so this kind of a conversation swami says should constantly go on in fact uh, in the next verse he says dadi navaneeta kshira mulu ruchyo dasharati dhyana bhajana sudharasam ruchyo he says is milk butter and curd tasty or the nectarine experience of meditation and worship of rama more delectable nijamugapaluku manasa oh mind you tell me the truth so he is asking himself you have tasted the joy of being lost in meditation of the lord's feet you have also tasted milk you have also tasted butter and all of these things which give taste to the tongue you tell me which have you found sweeter i think any of us who have really felt the joy of singing swami's bhajans and being lost in swami will know that there is no comparison at all yes we still go after all the tasty things which give relish to the tongue but if we were to pause and ask this question i think the mind itself will give the answer that there is no comparison it is dasharati dhyana bhajana sudara samu it is in the joy of getting lost in meditation of the lord then the next line is very beautiful i think it is perfectly placed in the discussion that we are having he says dama shama manu ganga snanam sukhama kardama durvishaya kupasnanam sukhama dama and shama is mind and sense control right so the act of having control over oneself tyagaraja says is like taking a dip in the ganges dama shama muna ganga snanam sukhama so he says it is like taking a dip in the ganges you tell me do you find more happiness in that or then he says kardama durvishaya kupasnanam sukhama he says the bad things that attract you it is like taking a dip in a sewer it is like taking a dip in a slush what gives you more happiness does taking a dip in the ganges which cleanses you or taking a dip in this slush which is a dip only for namesake because it does not clean you it makes you dirtier and that's a very very beautiful expression that he uses because in the next verse that we are going to go through krishna is going to explain that indulgence does not satisfy indulgence only increases the craving so when you are trying to clean yourself 
why will you take a dip in a place which makes you dirtier so he says dama shamamuna ganga snanam sukhama kardama durvishaya kupa snanam sukhama oh mind do you find relish in taking a dip in this worldly things so such mananam or such contemplation should constantly keep going on again in the later part of the second chapter krishna will explain the importance of this contemplation and the importance of constantly having this dialogue in the mind right so krishna says when one has already started making the efforts in this direction one knows to discriminate but it is important to constantly stop and question oneself the next couple of verses 62 and 63 actually they should be uh, played together but i think we'll take only 62 because i like to explain that a little bit in detail it's a very important verse it's an oft quoted verse and it is an explanation of the human psyche it's very very well described in this verse and the next one we we'll listen to this next verse verse number 62 in brother shams voice i'll give you a short meaning after that and then we'll discuss it in detail ध्यायतो विषयान पुंसह संगस्तेषु पजायते संगात संजायते कामः कामात क्रोधो भिजायते When a man dwells on the objects of sense he creates an attraction for them attraction develops into desire and desire breeds anger swami says in the gita vaini and i think this has to be kept in mind whatever explanation that we have been going through depends on this and whatever we are going to go through also depends on this so i'll quote those two lines swami says people have three chief instruments the mind the intellect and the senses it is when these three work in unison and cooperate with one another that either immersion in the flux or samsara or liberation in the knowledge of the atma is realized end of quote so i'll repeat that again because it's a very important description so he says people have three chief instruments the mind the intellect and the senses it is when these three work in unison and cooperate with one another that either immersion in the flux or liberation in the knowledge of the atma is realized so to be lost or to reach the goal to be bound or to become free these three the mind the intellect and the senses have to work in tandem the senses always as we've been going through in the past few weeks drags us outward right and when we say it drags us it drags the mind outward the mind as such has no physical nature of its own right even if it is being dragged by the senses the mind as such cannot do anything other than think about it other than contemplate on that which is attracting it but the real indulgence of the mind happens through actions right that is why when swami explained to that student swami said see your senses are dragging the mind outward but you ensure that your actions do not follow the mind right so that is the nature of the senses in the mind but our discrimination when it says that this is wrong of course when it says that the mind going after the senses is wrong that is when we start feeling guilty but as swami was saying that your intellect your discrimination is saying that it is wrong so ensure that you do not follow the mind and this is again a very very important thing 
I have mentioned this many, many times as part of the answering booth. Swami would never allow us to label ourselves as sinners or people of bad thoughts or people of bad. Because the moment we label ourselves, we are giving ourselves the license to live our lives like that. So Swami would say that you know, your mind is going after these things. Your intellect is saying that it is wrong. Instead of saying, oh my God, you know, my mind is dirty and I am a bad person. Use your discrimination to say that the mind is going after the wrong things. I will not follow it with actions. So when we label ourselves as a bad person because my mind is bad, we tend to give ourselves that license to be a bad person, right? If I could put it that way. But when we do not follow the mind, as Swami very beautifully said, just ensure that your discrimination stops your actions and words from following the mind, right? So using the intellect, I think we must ensure that the actions don't follow the senses in the mind. But what happens when we don't do this? That is what this particular verse and the next verse which we'll go through speaks about. Krishna says, Dhyayatu vishayan pumsaha. Pumsa means man. Dhyayatu vishayan. When a man contemplates on the objects of the senses, sangaha, attachment, teshu upajayate, attachment arises in that person. So Krishna says, Dhyayate vishayan pumsaha. When a man contemplates on the objects of the senses, Sanghateshu Upajayate, attachment arises in that person. As we had discussed even last week, we may not be able to indulge in a craving of the senses due to various reasons. It's not necessary that I'm a wise person and so I'm not indulging. It's not necessary that you know I'm a very spiritual person and I'm not in- indulging. It could even be that I'm not able to afford it. Or it may be that I'm abstaining because of social compulsions and uh, pressures from around. So there are many reasons because of which we are not able to necessarily follow the cravings of the mind. Or we may be in a state where we are able to follow the cravings with actions. Whether we follow with actions the cravings or we have the cravings and we can't afford to follow it, sometimes the result of both of these are quite equal. Even if it is only mental indulgence when we are not able to afford to follow the cravings, right? the discrimination must step in and say, I don't want this thing, this is not worth craving for, so I will not keep thinking about it. If this doesn't happen, the mind will indulge by continuing to contemplate on it even if it is not able to follow it with actions. Right? And when that happens, Krishna says, it leads to attachment. That contemplation of the mind on the cravings will lead to attachment. Because whether I crave for something and don't have it, or crave for something and have it, I will become dependent on that particular object or thing or person for me to be happy. It's again something which we've been repeating over and over again. The moment you get attached to something, you are putting your control outside of you which means it will lead to attachment, sangaha upajayate. Now this statement is also an indication of how we develop passions, right? Each one of us are passionate about different things. We all are different in our own way in that sense. Someone is passionate about becoming a very successful businessman. Someone is passionate about becoming famous. Someone is passionate about doing a lot of philanthropic work maybe. Somebody might be passionate about one particular person. What makes us different from each other 
is that we have different ambitions and goals right that is the basic difference between each one of us otherwise we all would be very very similar so the answer is in dhyayatu vishayan pumsah sangasteshu upajayate what we dwell upon contemplate constantly not just in this one lifetime but in any number of lifetimes that becomes our attachments and many times there are so many unfulfilled ambitions right so these are the things which we have developed a fantasy for and this does not happen only in one lifetime what i am today you find this even in children who are just growing up that one child craves for different things from the other where does this difference comes from these are all unfulfilled cravings which have not been fulfilled which have not been removed through discrimination which have eventually become attachments which have eventually become a part of a personality which starts showing up right so these are the things which we have developed a fantasy for we think that if i have this my life will be so much better right but when that has not happened it becomes a craving and that becomes an attachment which becomes a part of my personality so many times you would see that when we are after something that deprivation increases that craving that is why i said if there is a craving whether the actions follow it or the actions are not able to follow it because of some reason the cravings effect on the mind is pretty similar talking about the mahabharata itself the character of karna was like that he constantly was craving for the status of a warrior he wanted the society to look at him as a great warrior as a kshatriya and of course because of him being brought up by a charioteer he never gets that status so constantly he is craving for that and when we say he is craving for that there is this sense in the mind that if i have this i would have had everything or i would have something which will give me happiness right but he is constantly craving for that he does not get that eventually you know, duryodhana steps in he makes him a king but even after becoming a king he does not find satisfaction the reason why he does not find satisfaction is satisfaction does not come from anything outside but in his mind he thinks that maybe if i defeat arjuna in a battle then the society will look at me as a great warrior so he is constantly striving for something more and more the craving never seems to be satisfied right this is what developing fantasy for anything does how do we develop this fantasy it all starts with the senses right so that is why abstinence of senses is something krishna keeps repeating let's say we see someone living in a big house with a pool right that's how it starts it starts with the senses giving a certain input so we see someone living in a luxurious house like this or we read about it in a magazine or someone comes and tells us you know hey, did you know that so and so is living in such a palatial house then the mind starts imagining oh how happy i would be if i were to live in a family in a house like that how happy i would be if my family and children are able to live in a house with all those facilities so it is an imagination it is a fantasy that if i have that i will find happiness right then that thought gets stuck in the mind so after that let's say you go home and constantly every stimuli which happens around you will remind you of oh how good it would be if i had that big house some problem in the house some repair in the house you'll say oh how nice it would be if i was in that particular house with all of these facilities you have guests at home there's no place in the house you'll think oh how nice it would be if i had the bigger house there would have been more rooms in that and you know we would have been more comfortable right and this is what krishna has referred to dhyayate 
your mind begins to contemplate on something that you've started fantasizing about even without your own volition it is not like you are thinking about the house but once you have fantasized that once you have got this idea that if i have this thing i will be happy it starts repeating in your mind over and over again it keeps coming up again and again right so that is what krishna says dhyayate you end up contemplating about it even without your knowledge and such preoccupation with the thoughts of the vishaya or the object of the senses leads to attachment or sangaha because you will start striving for it right the best way of describing attachment as we saw last week something which becomes sticky we are not able to get over it we have got obsessed with this idea that i will be happy only if i obtain it or something which you already have you hold tight to it saying that if i let go of this i will not be happy that stickiness as we saw last week that is what is attachment and that comes because of these kind of cravings as krishna says here now as we go through life we have many many fantasies right it is not like one or two that we can count and i think any person with common sense will know that not all fantasies can be pursued in one lifetime in fact most of us make many of these choices even while we are children studying right we choose between academics and sports so we choose between music and academics or we choose between two sports there are some people who are very good at multiple sports they say that okay which one should i take up as a career so we know that all fantasies and all imaginations that we have cannot be pursued so we begin to choose what we want to pursue so when we make the choice we start pursuing it which means we start making efforts in that direction of receiving that or attaining something in other words i start doing actions driven by the thought that i should achieve this this is what is referred to as desire right we are having a desire and that desire is leading us to make some particular thought we refer to as kamya karma or actions that are done with the desire to achieve something of course this phrase kamya karma is specifically used for certain sacrifices and uh, ritual practices which are done to achieve something right there is again something which krishna had referred to in the verses in the second chapter where he said that you look at the vedas as a process to achieve something in life or beyond this life so kamya karma is usually referred to such rituals but the meaning of that phrase is applicable to this when you start pursuing something saying that if i have this i'll be happy so i'm going to make efforts to get this then you start doing kamya karma right and krishna says sangat samjayate kamaha through that attachment eventually it leads to kama or desires so this whole process happens not necessarily in one lifetime but many many lifetimes it's quite complicated in the sense that there are some deep yearnings within us there are some fleeting cravings within us which go through our mind even as we are living this life and there are some things which we are deeply already pursuing right so we are in the middle of all of this and what krishna is explaining here as a method sense control discrimination that constant contemplation of what is worth pursuing and this constant input of what is right and what is wrong and what is truth and what is untruth all of this works for whichever stage we are in whether we are having fleeting cravings or we are having some unfulfilled desires or we are in the middle of pursuing a desire whatever is the stage for all of these 
the points which Krishna is giving works. So this whole process happens through many many lifetimes and we are in the middle of that. Some fantasies we follow, some we don't. Those that we don't follow, we may carry in our mind and it may manifest in a different lifetime. Those that we follow and realize that there is no joy in them and those cravings go away, right? There are many cravings like that. Within our lifetime, we can say that we fancy something and then eventually we have it and then we let go of it. There are a lot of rich people who, who have lost their, who get disillusioned about money, right? Because they find that they've worked so hard and they've earned so much money. But they've lost so many other joys of life. Similarly, there's somebody who must have craved for something. They have it and then they find that, oh, I thought this would be much more better than this, but this is not as good. So many such cravings go away, but there are some other cravings also which do not go away so easily. Let's say that I have a craving for power. You know, I'm a CEO of a company and I've gone through the ranks because I've always wanted more power and more authority. Eventually, I become a CEO. I become a CEO, then I find that the local MLA seems to be having more power than me. He's obstructing the plans that I have for my company. So let's say I stand in the election and become an MLA. And I find that being an MLA is also not good enough because being a minister in the cabinet is better than being an MLA or whatever is the sequence. So the craving for such things, not all cravings go away by we going through them. Some cravings pull us into that, you know, it's like a quicksand. It keeps pulling us further and further. That is why whether it is a craving that which can be used away by going through it or a craving that does not go away in that manner, the best way is to always use discrimination. Even as we are going through that experience, go through that process of discrimination. Is it really giving me the happiness that I sought? This power which I thought is going to give me peace of mind, it doesn't seem to be giving me. It gives me more headache. So that discrimination, that honest contemplation should always go on. That is what will help us get over any kind of craving, whether it is a deep craving or a fleeting craving. Slowly in that manner, the desire itself will be dismantled over a period of time. But if we don't do that, if we blindly follow the desires, however successful we are, we cannot fulfill all our desires. Just like how we cannot follow all our cravings, even the cravings that we follow, we cannot necessarily fulfill all our desires. Someone who is more successful, you'll always feel that I could have done more, I could have achieved more, right? And if the desire is not dismantled, that will eventually lead to some form of frustration because all desires cannot be fulfilled. And that's what Krishna says, Kamat Krodha Abhijayati. From desires, anger arises. When we have a desire, when we are trying to pursue it, when we are putting all our actions in that pursuit of that desire, when our pursuit is obstructed by any means, by a person, by circumstances, we start getting agitated. We get angry with the person who is obstructing us. We probably get angry with ourselves because of our weaknesses. Or like most of us, we get angry with Swami. We get angry with God. I have a desire and I am not able to achieve it. So that's why Krishna says, Kamat Krodaha Abhijayati from desires, anger comes. We tend to become agitated when the desires are not fulfilled. So the root cause for all of this, as Krishna has been saying, is the senses. And as Swami said, the senses, the mind and the intellect. The usage of these three is the most critical aspect of human life. 
and that is what he explained in this particular verse i'll probably give that meaning of that verse once again dhyato vishayan pumsaha when a man dwells on objects of the senses contemplates constantly when something becomes a craving when something becomes a fantasy it starts occupying more of your mind space this is something which i always tend to think what occupies our mind space is something that we have to constantly look at is it worth worrying about is it worth feeling sorry about this is it worth craving for this you know i don't have this money but do i need to constantly think about this money so and so is troubling me do i need to give mind space to that person so it is very important to make that call when we talk about sense control mind control that is what it finally comes to to stop the running mind and say that no i don't want to indulge more in this through thoughts so he says dhyate vishayan pumsah but when you don't do that and when you start letting your mind to contemplate on something that you have placed your mind on he says sangasteshu upajayate that will lead to attachment when you allow your mind to contemplate endlessly on something and sangat samjayate kamah that attachment will lead to further desire as swami would say we tend to think that oh i have 10 desires and if i fulfill these 10 desires i'm going to be happy swami would say fulfilling desires is like itching yourself when you have eczema that's the most graphic example that swami uses because when you itch yourself when you have that itching sensation swami says the itching does not reduce it only increases In that manner when you are attached to a few things when you start pursuing them it only leads to an increase of desires sangat samjayate kamah kamat krodho abhijayate he says there will be desires which will not be fulfilled there will be desires which will take time to be fulfilled right not all desires the moment you have it the next day you it's going to be fulfilled so all of this will lead to krodha or anger or agitation right and the worst that comes next which we'll go through next week verse number 63 krishna takes this further and in fact the verses which are going to follow 64 and 65 the entire way in which the mind gets muddled up and this has not happened as i said in a lifetime it has happened over many many lifetimes but it is never late to take control of the situation and that is why we go through verses like the bhagavad gita we go through books like the bhagavad gita we go through lectures discourses we listen to swami the satsanga the talks all of that is so that at least now we can take control of the mind at least now we can lead a conscious life a discriminating life saying that this is my goal and these things don't add up to that goal don't help me to pursue that goal and that is what the whole effort is right whether me doing this program or you listening to this program that is the whole effort so with that prayer to swami that krishna very beautifully said with that sense control with that discrimination you must have attachment to me so swami we pray for that we pray for that discrimination we pray for that sense control and we pray that that deep love and attachment for swami and swami's feet arises in all of us with that prayers dear listeners i offer this effort at swami's lotus feet i'll meet you all again next week for resuming this triune pilgrimage of the gita series till then take care जय साई राम